If you could turn in your Bibles, please, to Philippians chapter 2. I'm going to be reading from verse 19. We're doing this study, as you've just picked up, uh, called Nothing Less in the book of Philippians, and we're um, probably about five into that series. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who shows genuine concern for your welfare. For everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself, because as a son with his father, he has served me in the work of the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him as soon as I see how things go with me, and I'm confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. But I think it necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. For he longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill and almost died, but God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but also on me, to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I am all the more eager to send him, so that when you see him again, you may be glad and I may have less anxiety. So then, welcome him in the Lord with great joy and honor people like him, because he almost died for the work of Christ." He risked his life to make up for the help you yourselves could not give me. So we're talking today about trust. And these two relationships that Paul is talking about in these verses, very personally, about these two people that he trusts. And uh, he's talking about Epaphroditus and Timothy. And today I want us to look at this subject of trust. And we live in an untrusting world. We live in a world that's often devoid of trust. And I don't know if you remember that film, Meet the Parents. Have you ever seen that film? It's a really well-known film. It's 16 years old now. And do you remember the relationship between these two guys? It was pretty awful, wasn't it? It was pretty tense because it was all about a relationship of trust and distrust. One wanting to put his trust in the other and the other one being distrusting of him, the, Robert, the father-in-law, Robert De Niro, uh, constantly using this phrase, the, the circle of trust. Do you remember? In fact, we're just going to watch some excerpts from the film just to remind you. Great. I had to stop myself watching the rest of the film because I enjoyed it so much. But here's the question today. Whose circle of trust are you in, and who is in your circle of trust? There's the circle. I want you to think about that question as we talk this morning. And uh, it seems to me that we live in a world that's devoid of trust. How many of you here have been into an off-license recently, maybe to buy a bottle of wine, and when you went to buy it, you're, you're well over age 18, and somebody says to you, can I see your ID, please? No, some of you haven't been asked that question for a number of years, and uh, me, me neither. It, here's my sort of recent story. I went, uh, a few weeks ago, I had a bad cold, and my go-to medicine when I'm feeling really sorry for myself is a green liquid called Night Nurse. And uh, you, you, you know the one. And, and I, I looked in our cupboards, and the cupboards were bare, so I had to make a perilous trip in my sickened state out to the pharmacist, uh, uh, Boots the pharmacist. And, and I approached the, the, the pharmacist's um, counter with some trepidation because... Pharmacists, it's that one kind of industry in the world where, where still customer service comes second. 
And uh, because your safety comes first. You know, they're, they're keen to ask you all the right questions. And so I approached the counter in my, in, in my ill state, and I said, uh, could I have some of that magical green liquid behind you, please? And uh, without even looking at the, what I was pointing to, she, she, she looked at me in the eye and she said, what's it for? <laughs> and I said, well, I've, I've got a cold and I'm, I'm feeling really ill and I just love this stuff. I, it just helps me feel better. <laughs> and uh, she looked at me slightly oddly. And uh, anyway, she said, are you taking any other medication? I said, no. She said, any paracetamol? No, no, no. She said, are you on any prescriptions? I said, no, no nothing like that. She said, and, and my wife's a doctor. She assures me that this medicine does no good at all. <laughs> and anyway, she sort of reached out and she kind of begrudgingly gave me this liquid. And I said, you know, I said, is there any chance I could take two bottles with me? Just so next time I'm ill, I don't need to make this perilous journey again. And she looked at me up and down. And she smiled and she said, I don't think so. <laughs> and clearly what was going through her head, that I was some kind of night nurse junkie who was about to go outside around the corner and down a couple of bottles of night nurse. And she thought, I want no part in your addiction, sir. See, it's a world of distrust, and probably rightly so in, in some things. But when you, when you go to the airport, and they send you through the scanner and the, 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 the doorway thing. What are they saying? They're saying, well, we're treating you as if you could be a terrorist. It's not a relationship of trust. When you come back into the country with your passport, if you left it somewhere or forgot it, they wouldn't just smile and say, well, that's okay. That's fine. They say, no, you're not coming in until we can prove who you are. Even if you say you are who you are, it's not a relationship of trust. You see, in our culture, we've tended to replace trust with transparency. One of the things that our kids are now getting into as they're going to, to senior school is that we give them a, a phone so that if they get into trouble, and they think this is great, they think this is them getting independent of us. Actually, what it means is this. I can track them <laughs> using my Find an iPhone app. I can actually spot how long Jack spends on street corners and at the sweetie shop. I know if there's any deviations on the way home. Now, if that was deemed to be good parenting, we'd be in trouble, wouldn't it? If what we were trying to do in this world was just keep track of everything and make it so that we could see everything easily, then that undermines the very ethos of what trust is, which is to say, I give you responsibility and I, I don't need to know everything. The world at its most extreme, says, trust no one, because no one can be truly trusted. But the Christian faith is completely at odds with that, because it says that one person can be entirely trusted with your entire life, and his name is Jesus. And when you trust Jesus with your life, he will never let you down. He'll never let you down. He'll never let you down. You see, that's what the Christian gospel is. It's to put your trust in a person. And that person won't let you down. And when you're a Christian, following to Jesus is about God restoring relationships of trust in your life. And relationships like marriage are designed to be full of trust, one for another. Church community relationships are designed to be full of trust, where we grow in trust and love for one another, and where we become worthy of that trust. 
Today's verses from Philippians are all about trust, and I'm convinced if you can apply these truths to your life, you will become a better employee, a better boss, a better parent, a better wife, a better husband, a better leader. So we're going to look at these two characters, Timothy and Epaphroditus, who Paul seems to put so much trust in in these verses. So let's just remind ourselves of verse 19. He says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare. First point here is this, that trust is about trusting somebody to give you feedback. Trust is earned by giving feedback, giving good analysis. And Timothy is being entrusted by Paul to bring feedback from the Philippian church to him. And this is a fascinating point, just worth bearing uh, just stopping on for one, one moment or two. That here's the most secure leader in the world, the Apostle Paul, probably the greatest Christian leader you will ever come across. The most secure, the most gifted, the most fruitful. You couldn't really pick fault with his great leadership. Yet, do you, do you just pick something out of these verses? He says, I hope to send Timothy that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. This is what the most secure, gifted leader says. He says, I need something back here. I need to know what's going on with you. And you can think that leaders are just thick-skinned people who shouldn't really care about whether things are working well or not. But here's the truth about any decent leader. They care deeply about the effect of the work that they're having in people's lives. And I dare say there have been people in your life people that you've trusted yourself to in a past season, or people who have put trust in you, and that's borne huge fruit, which has meant you're sitting here today or you're doing a certain thing. And you know, one of the most wonderful things you can do for those people is to give them some feedback and say, you know what, what you did and the influence you had, it might have totally passed you by but that had huge effect in my life, and I just wanted to acknowledge that to you. You see, Paul's big fear, if you go back a few verses into uh, Philippians 2, verse um, uh, 16, he says, he says that he, his desire is that I may be able to boast on the day of Christ Jesus that I did not run or labor in vain. Here's every leader's biggest fear that what they do didn't count somehow that somehow it, it didn't matter, that they run their race in vain. And there can be this very British, Scottish philosophy that is this, that we worry about over-encouraging people. We worry that if somehow we encourage people, it's going to go straight to their head, and their ego is going to explode beyond all recognition. It's a very British thing. And I want to ask you the question, when somebody encourages you, is that the effect it has on you? No. When somebody says to you, well done, I just really appreciated what you did there, that really had an impact on me, does that make you dance on the table and think, yeah, I'm the man, I'm the woman? No, of course it doesn't. More likely, you think as the Apostle Paul does, well, thank goodness for that. <laughs> it's not all in vain. Most of us are very aware when things are going really well or when things are going really badly. And when things are going really well, we need humility. And when things are going really badly, we need help. 
most of the time, most of us live in this middle ground where we're not quite sure. We're kind of driving the car, but we don't always know the effect or the fruit of what we're doing. Why don't you take a moment this week, today, even right now if you like, to text somebody, to email somebody. I, I'm not, I will never, ever ask you to text in my message again. You will never get this opportunity. But there could be something you're thinking of right now. I haven't talked to them for years. Maybe they were a youth leader or somebody in a past season. And maybe the right thing for you today to do today is to get in touch with them, to encourage them in their leadership journey, in the trust that they showed in you perhaps many years ago. I remember for me, I had a chemistry teacher at school by the name of John Priddo. And he was responsible for leading me to Christ. He was responsible for teaching me to love the Bible. We had a CU group that met twice a week. And he used to prepare messages that were incredible, that taught me to love the Bible. And just occasionally, every few years, I'll just send him a, a reminder to say thanks for that. That hugely affected the whole outcome of my life. My family has hugely affected the outcome of my life. I've had Christian parents, which have really helped me. Probably most influential in my family and me coming to faith was my brother, my older brother. Now, I'm never, ever going to tell him that because <laughs> he's my brother. And, uh, you know, but I think that's fair enough because I think me being his younger brother, he's never, ever going to listen to this message. <laughs> so and if he does, he'll get the encouragement. So there you go. <laughs> Encourage people who have helped you and feedback to them. Here's, here's another thing from Timothy. So trust is earned through observable behavior. So verse 22, he appeals to them. He says to the Philippians, but you know that Timothy has proved himself. He says, you know. He's not saying introducing Timothy, somebody you've never met, but I'm telling you he's a good leader. He says, you know Timothy. How did they know Timothy? Well, because he was in their church, 10 years earlier, he was on the first church planting mission that came to Philippi. In fact, if you go into Acts 16, we don't have time to go there today. What you'll find is this, that Paul turns up at a church in Lystra. And everybody's talking about this young guy called Timothy. And they're saying, Paul, this is a great young leader. And Paul takes their word for it. See, everybody seems to be respecting him already. If you want to be a trusted person, you don't achieve that status just by sucking up to somebody, to your boss or to your leader or whoever that is. You achieve it by being trustworthy across the board and having everybody make that analysis of you, serving everybody around you in each sphere that you're in. Timothy was the son of a Christian mother and, a Christian, and the, the grandson of a Christian grandmother. He was an active part of the church community and he was invited to come on a mission trip with Paul and Silas on the condition that he got circumcised. That must have taken some commitment. When you look at what Timothy actually did on that first mission trip, I'm arguing slightly from silence, but the answer seems to be he didn't get asked to do anything at all other than just tag along. So here was the deal. Timothy, you get circumcised and you just follow me around for a few months. What did Timothy do in that time? My understanding is this. He watched Paul like a hawk. And he said, how do you do that, Paul? That message you preached, why did you preach it that way? 
those people that you dealt with that way, the way you preached the gospel in that situation, the way the Holy Spirit led you to those people, how did he do it? How did he do it? I want to learn. I think he learned everything because what we read in these verses that we're looking at today is that Paul says, I have no one else like Timothy. In your translation, it might say he's my kindred spirit. He was like family to Paul. He represented the very ethos of everything that Paul stood for in terms of preaching the gospel. I went to um, uh, Edinburgh Zoo uh, a few weeks ago with, on, a, on a class trip with my son Sam. I was a parent helper. Uh, they were studying um, the cycle of life, reproduction, that kind of thing. And I, I hadn't really thought of it ahead of time, but I, I was the only dad helper with eight other mums. It was a slightly awkward experience, but... Um, Anyway, they showed us the cage with uh, the gibbons inside, in this family of gibbons. And the, the lady who was showing us around, she said this, it was, it was a lovely story. She said, she said the gibbons, when, when they mate, she said, when the male wants to mate, he has a song that he sings, and you can hear it for two miles around. And if you're the female and you're interested in this male singing this song, then you repeat the song back to him. And... That's like a green light. When, when both of them sing the same song, it's green lights, and they start a family together. And apparently what happens is this, that the, the, the young baby uh, gibbons, they learn the same song as well. So every morning, the mum, the dad, and the babies all sing the family song. <laughs> and it's their way of telling the world and the wildlife and the, and the, the forest around to say, we're a family. We're a family. We're, we're all on the same page here. Don't come near us if you're another given family because we belong here. Now, Paul is saying, he said, me and Timothy, we're, we're like that. We're singing the same song. We're doing the same thing. If I send Timothy to you, you'll get the same as if I come to you because we're just so on the same page. And Timothy had learnt through being faithful in small things, turning up, not always having the limelight, but being a silent partner in Paul's ministry trips. You know, at Kings here, there will be some uh, teams. We, we encourage everybody to serve, to get involved in a serving team. We have 2,000 serving slots every year, apparently, on a Sunday morning that have to be filled. And some of those teams require expertise and skill, like mixing sound or playing musical instruments. Some of those things are just discipleship growth moments where simply what we're asking for people, asking people is this, could you turn up at a certain time and do as you're asked to do? And if you do that, it might not sound like the most exciting thing to do in the world, but that is exactly what Timothy did, and that's exactly what builds trustworthiness and makes you God's trusted man or woman. Um, just one more thing on Timothy, and then we'll move on to, to Epaphroditus. Uh, trust is about working together. So verse 22, he says, You know that Timothy has proved himself, because as a son with his father, he has served me in the work of the gospel. The illustrations of father-son apprenticeship, you don't see many of these in our culture these days. Occasionally in the building trade or something, you'll meet a father and son team, and that's, it's always really sweet when you see that. In that culture, it was very common. In our culture, in a bygone era, it would have been very common. 
In fact, if uh, many surnames in the English language, um, like Thatcher or Slater or Miller or Weaver or Taylor or Mason or Cooper or Cheeseman or Spicer or Cook, they all have their origin in, in what your family used to do. And I've no idea what a Hudson is, but that's, that's what I am. But you, 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 there was a family trade that you used to buy into. Now, this is what Paul is saying about Timothy. He says, we're like a father and son team working in the gospel family together. We're about the same work. And he doesn't treat Timothy as an underling anymore, but he says, we're working on it together. He's now the grown-up child who has learned Paul's ways and the ways of preaching the gospel. Here's the ways you earn trust, by being faithful, by being teachable, by watching and learning. Let's look at um, Epaphroditus here. Verse 25. I think it necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. For he longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill and almost died, but God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but also on me, to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Welcome him in the Lord with great joy and honor people like him because he almost died for the work of Christ. He risked his life to make up for the help you yourselves could not give me. Epaphroditus, his name means, uh, he, he's named after the Greek goddess Aphrodite, who was the, the goddess of sexual love. And his name meant handsome or charming or lovely. And uh, I, I can only imagine he got some ribbing in the playground at school. But Here's this guy, and, and, and you might have a view of him just being this attractive, kind of genteel character, you know, just kind of very winsome. This is what Paul says about him. He's a daredevil, life-risking person, risking all for the sake of others. I'm sure those fine good looks had given away to near-death kind of physique in his body. He strikes me as an activist kind of guy. He likes doing stuff. When the Philippines needed somebody to send some stuff to Paul to help him out while he was in prison, he was the volunteer. He was the trusted one. He said, I, I can take some stuff. And in those days, uh, journey overland was perilous. This was about a journey of 1,200 kilometers between Philippi and Rome. And uh, if you read the story of the Good Samaritan in the Bible, you'll know in those days, robbers would come. People would... Uh, would try and steal your stuff. So here was a man who was saying, I'm willing to take some possessions, some money, some things that Paul needs, and I'm willing to risk whatever is on that journey to get it to him. And we don't know exactly what happened, but it seems like, it seems like he nearly died in that process, but for the mercy of God. That's the kind of person he is. Some of us are more like that than others. Some of us are more like, just give me a challenge. The thing you do on a day off isn't to sit on a beach, but you just look for something to do. I'm struck by some characters in the Bible like that. Sometimes you read of uh, people like David's mighty men. And uh, there's one character who always just gets me every time. Benoah, his name is, in 1 Samuel 16. And it, and it simply says of him, this was his great exploit. He says... He also went down into a pit on a snowy day and killed a lion. <laughs> nice. So let me get this right. While everybody else was out sledging, enjoying the snow, saying, hey, it's a snow day, we're off school and all of that, 
he's thinking, not challenging enough. I need something else. And he comes across a pit, and there's a lion in it, and he thinks, you know, there's something about this situation that demands my attention. I'm going to jump down the pit, kill the lion, because what if this lion ever escaped? It could cause a threat to somebody one day. So I'm going to deal with the lion. You think, well, that seems a little far-fetched, but that's the kind of person he is. He's an activist. He's an activist, and there's something just trustworthy about it. He's proved himself by just doing stuff. He wasn't afraid of conflict, Epaphroditus. Paul calls him my fellow soldier. Often we're way too afraid of conflict and upsetting people. We'd rather blur into the background. But I want to suggest that part of you being God's trusted man or woman is for you to stand up when it's necessary. When somebody is making some incorrect assertion about God or Christians in a situation where you could intervene to say, hey, I, I wonder if I could say something about that. Don't let everything pass you by because God gives you opportunities. Epaphroditus was aware that he lived in a, a fight. I was reading this uh, quote from Simon Gillibald, who is, <laughs> again, a similar kind of character, I think. And he's talking about prayer, but he makes the similar point. He says, probably the, the number one reason why prayer malfunctions in the hands of believers is that we try to turn a, war to a wartime walkie-talkie into a domestic intercom. Until you know that life is war, you cannot know what prayer is for. But what have millions of Christians done? We've stopped believing that we are in a war. No urgency, no watching, no vigilance, no strategic planning, just easy peace and prosperity. And what did we do with the walkie-talkie? We tried to rig it up as an intercom in our houses, not to call in firepower for conflict with a mortal enemy, but to ask for more comforts in the den. God wants us to know that we're in a battle. There's an old hymn that says, Stand up, stand up for Jesus, stand in his strength alone. In the final verses, it says, where duty calls or danger, be never wanting there. Go looking for the stuff that God wants us to sort out and prove your trust and faithfulness in that, and you will become God's trusted person. Uh, he was faithful also to his loyalties. Paul calls him a brother. He was also soft-hearted. Uh, Epaphroditus was distressed, even though he was the one who was really ill. He was distressed that other people were worrying about him because he was ill. You know that kind of person? He was soft-hearted. He cared deeply what other people were feeling and thinking. I want to suggest if you're going to be a trusted person, you have to be more than a task person. He was faithful to the mission. He gave his own resources at its thought. It says, he risked his life to make up for the help you yourselves could not give me. So adding to the own gifts that the Philippians gave, he reached deep into his own pockets to say, I can make this happen. Paul, I can help you out. Who's in your circle? And whose circle are you in? In Paul's circle of trust, there was Paul and uh, there was Timothy and Epaphroditus. In yours, you'll have other, other names. Whose circle are you in? It could be for somebody here today that as you have been answering that question, you think, well, I'm not sure I'm totally in anybody's circle of trust right now. I'm 
put myself out here somewhere. And you think, what, what does that mean? And I, I just want to very briefly finish by sharing with you what the gospel is. And I just to say that if this is God's circle of trust, if this is God's circle of trust, do you know there's no person who has ever successfully lived in this circle. In fact, the only people who lived in it for a short time were Adam and Eve. And God trusted them with a fruit tree and they couldn't do it. They started here and they ended up out here. And every human being since has ended up outside this circle of trust, this circle of inclusion, of relationship with God. In that trusting, loving relationship. Except one person whose name is Jesus. And he's the only one who led a completely trustworthy life. He did exactly what God wanted of him. He led the perfect life. And to be a Christian is to put your trust in Jesus Christ. And the Bible uses this phrase to describe anybody who is a Christian, who's made that decision to put their trust in Jesus Christ. And it says of you, if you're a Christian, it says you are in Christ. You are in Christ. This is the circle that you are now in. If you are a Christian and you're in Christ, you move from here to here. And that is why God no longer looks at you if you're a Christian and kind of views you as an outsider, but he gives you his Holy Spirit. God gives you his Holy Spirit because now you're in Christ. You're part of the trusted family here. He gives you the gifts of the Holy Spirit. He's not looking at you every morning saying, well, shall I, shall I bless you today or not? Shall I give you something today? Shall I make you useful today? No, you're in the club now. You're in the family. Here you are. Isn't that good? Yeah, I think it is. And here's what's on offer for you today. If you don't know Jesus yet here today, by simply putting your trust in Jesus and what he's done for you on the cross, you can find yourself in God's circle. And you can find yourself becoming useful for God. And you can find yourself using those gifts. And you can find yourself growing in trust with other believers and finding yourself more and more useful where other people rely on you more and more. Working out your salvation by being reliable, by being faithful, by being teachable. Let's pray. And uh, Claire, could we just sing one final song and, and then we'll, we'll finish there. So let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we want to... Uh, we just want to come before you right now as we are about to enter into our weeks ahead. Lord, we want to say, we trust you. Jesus, we're trusting you. With all that we have and all that we are. I thank you that you're restoring trust into our lives. Thank you that you're a good God who is trustworthy. I thank you that you're rest restoring trust in community. And I want to pray, Lord, for our situations where Lord, sometimes we don't know how to trust or where to trust. Or I pray that you'd give us courage, Lord, to, to build trusting relationships with others. If anyone who 
has yet to put their trust in you here today. I pray, give them the courage to do that right now. And if, if you are putting your trust in Jesus for the first time, then I'd love to chat to you afterwards. I've got a Bible I'd love to give to you. For the rest of us, we're just going to sing a final song together before we close.